we uh, travel through the Bible, and we are in the book of Revelation, so you can make your way to chapter 3. And we're in verse 7. And in Psalm 138, verse 22, God says, I have exalted my word above my name. And so let's stand and reverence and respect to God's word. And let's read here from chapter 3 and verse 7. It says, And to the angel, Jesus writes, of the church in Philadelphia, These things says he who is holy. He who is true, as Jesus speaks about himself. He who has the key of David. He who opens and no one shuts. And shuts and no one opens. I would say amen there. Something. I know your works. So I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. And Father, please, just bless our time here. But even as Danny prayed, we ask that you do, you bring it alive in our hearts, that it would be life-changing, it would find good soil, that fruit would be born, Lord, from your word being placed in our hearts today. We believe you for that. That's why we've come, Jesus. And it's in your name we all pray. Amen. You can be seated. Philly, Philadelphia was the gateway from one continent to another. And the plan was to spread the Greek way of life from this city, the Greek civilization, the Greek language. The plan was to spread it throughout the entire world. That's the location. Philly was also a, a city that was full of idols. Tons of little gods. And we know with little gods and little idols comes much sin. It was often referred to as the little Athens. A very sinful place. So it's kind of like our place. And I want you to see as we go through this, even though they lived in a place that was very corrupted, Jesus writes a letter to them that they're shining. So see, none of us can go, well, you know, the world just keeps pulling me. Or No, we can't use that as an excuse because the people in Philadelphia didn't use that as an excuse. And so as we look over this letter, I hope we can see things like Church of the Open Door, the Faithful Church, a little strength, a persevering church. It was a church that agape loved one another. That's the estimation of this church. And Jesus says, it is really cooking. So why don't we go cooking? I want you to think about something. I want to call this section of Scripture the ingredients of a sound church. Kind of like the ingredients of, I don't know, your favorite dish. Now, some of you might make them from scratch. Others might go and get the roll of cookie dough and take it home and slice them up and put it on a cookie sheet. But it's okay. Because all of those steps have to be done right in order for it all to be carried out. If you go, well, I can't cook, Pastor, so I'm just going to get the roll of cookie dough. Yeah, but you got to turn the temperature to the right temperature. You got to take it out at the right time. You got to. You can't just throw the whole blob in there. Well, I guess you could, and <laughs> I don't know what it looked like, but but you got to have all of the ingredients just right. You got to have all the steps down so that it, the dish turns out and. Even so, Jesus is going to tell all of us who have ears to hear, this is what the necessary ingredients are for a sound church, which is 
his church. And as we travel through this, he's also going to give some great icing on the cake, as long as those who will stay true to the recipe. So I want you to notice that all of his promises to this church, to you and me, his church, that all of his promises to be faithful to his church or his church are based upon his unchanging character and not ours. Amen? Can you imagine if Jesus' faithfulness was based upon our faithfulness to him? Man, woo-woo, ping-pong balls is what comes to my mind. But it's always based upon his unchanging character. This one named Jesus who was holy and true, faithful and righteous, long-suffering and full of mercy, speaks these words because it's his church. He's already on record saying that he will build his church. He's on record saying he would come back for his church. And we also know he will encourage his church not to cave in, but to dig in, not to quit, but to persevere on this journey that we're all called to. So let's look what he says here. And to the pastor, the messenger, the elder of the church in the brotherly love city, write, these things says he. And who is he? It's Jesus. So Jesus, speaking of himself, he's going to introduce himself to this church in Philadelphia this week, this way, just like he has in all the other six letters so far. These things says he who is holy, he who is true. So if Jesus is present in the church and he introduces himself as holy and true to you, then the pursuit of holiness should be at least on our minds. You know, just seeking to live like him. The proclaiming of the truth will not be absent. It's critical. As Jesus describes himself to this church, I believe he is encouraging them by telling them, these things says he who is holy and he who is true. And team, that's why we believe the scriptures. That's why we teach the scriptures. Because they're true. We don't read them and go, well, you know, I don't know about that. No, we read them because they're true. The Greek word that Jesus uses for true here, it's not true or false. You know, it's kind of like, well, I don't know. No, this is true and not fake. It's a different type of, it's a different Greek word. You know, Jesus is saying, look, I'm the real deal. I'm the genuine article. I am God Almighty that was manifested in the flesh for the redemption of mankind. And the ingredients that you get for your meal are only as good as the source that you get them from. And for you and I as believers, Jesus is saying here, I'm holy. I'm true. I mean, that's where we get everything from. In the book of First uh, Peter 3, it says, yes and no. Yep. It's not First Peter 3. All things that pertain to life and godliness are found in the knowledge of Christ. It's somewhere between First Peter and Revelation. Go find it. <laughs> but those are the words. All you got to do is search them out. And Jesus is saying, look, they're here. Jesus told Thomas in John 14, 6, I am the way. He is the only way. We don't have to be embarrassed about that. I am the truth. He's the only truth. We don't have to be embarrassed about that. And he says, I am the life, Thomas. And no man comes to the Father unless they come through me. So when Jesus says here, these things says, he who is holy, he who is true, I want to be one who tunes in and listens up because he's going to speak divine truth to me. And for what? Well, because he loves me. Because he wants me to represent himself to this world. Because he wants me to be ready because he's coming back. Next, Jesus tells us he has the key of David. 
He quotes out of Isaiah 22, 22. You can go look that up tonight. You get a good picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. And so here it is. He's the one who holds the keys. He has the power to include. He has the power to exclude. He has the power to let in. He has the power to leave out. He opens and no one shuts. And he shuts and no one opens. Because he has the authority. When I was on staff in Santa Barbara, I had a ton of keys. It's like they always get here. Just give them to him because he'll have them. And then someone came and told me, hey, you know the guy with all the keys has all the authority? And so then I tried to give them all away, but nobody would take them. And that, but that's what Jesus is doing here. But he'll never give those keys away because he has them. He's the keeper of the keys. He has the ability to open up and to close. And that we should take great comfort in that. See, you and I, we don't have to figure out how life happens. He says, I'll open doors and I'll close doors even if it's seeking to buy a house. <laughs> You're right? Because then we get, a, we get safety in that. He wants to be involved in everything. So we should take great comfort in this, that the Lord will open doors that I cannot, and he will close doors that I'll... Who's got a six-foot metal digging bar? One, two, three, four. Okay, he will close doors that our four six-foot metal doors will never pry open. Now, this works out practically in our lives the same way it would spiritually. If the door is open, then we should walk in, right? If no one answers the closed door, then what? Just walk away. Don't sit there and huff and puff and get, try and get your way, spouses. Just walk away. Trust Jesus to work. I certainly don't want to be like the wolf out there trying to blow the door down. When Jesus is in control of the doors because he has the keys, well, then he can direct my life. The walk with him will be very natural and yet very supernatural. It'll become very simple. Might be a little adventurous at times. When Typhoon Yolanda hit and I was getting reports that five Calvary chapels were, were, were messed up, some were destroyed, their people in their churches were out of a house. How could I not go? And so I went. Problem is, I couldn't get a hold of anybody, and I didn't even know how to get there. I'd never been on that island before. But I knew I needed to go. And it's like, Lord, if you're going to get me there, then you're going to have to open all the doors to get me there. All I knew was the city to land in and the name of the church or the city where the church was. That's all I knew. And so that's where I went. And I took off. And I land there, I get my suitcases out there, the taxi guys are trying to rip me off, so it's like, I forget you, I go to the pedicab, and all I knew was van out of the city. That's all you really knew. And so this guy takes off. I have no idea where he's going, I'm surveying the damage. Next thing we know, we turn down an alley, my first thought was, oh, this ain't good. <laughs> but then I look, and it's like, there's piles of vans here. And, and so I, I walk up there, he grabs my bags that are full of tools, and all I knew was Calvary Chapel, you turn for Christ, Lala Wigan. And, and I wasn't pronouncing it Lala Wigan, you know, and that's why they couldn't figure it out. And then after they kind of figured that out, then I'm doing charades like, look, I vomit if I sit in the back. I got to be in the front. And uh, so the lady goes, five hours. Okay. So I'm sitting there minding my own business. And all of a sudden, someone comes and grabs my bags, and I'm just about ready to kind of go like, hey, someone's stealing my stuff. And he throws it in the back of a van. 
And then he comes and gets me, and there's someone actually sitting in the front seat, and they're talking. That person ends up in the back seat, and I'm up in the front seat, and he goes, where are you going? I mean, those probably were his only English words he spoke. And all I knew was, Calvary Chapel, you turn for Christ, la la weekend. And he's looking at me, you know, repeating it back. No, there's no city like that. And so I kept throwing different, you know, pronouncing it different ways as I'm hacking it out. And so here we go. Again, I've never been on this island. I've been up for three days. So I'm in and out of consciousness on this van ride. You know, they draw, oh man, it is a dr- van ride from hell. It, and that was on bad roads. It's still that way today. So, you know, it's like, can't can we just fly in and fly out and not have to make the drive? And, and I'm out cold. And all of a sudden, he whacks me in the side. And I look at him. You know, I'm sure it wasn't a very loving look. And then he points out the window. And I look, and there's a sign. Calvary Chapel, U-Turn for Christ, Lala Weekend. So I get out. They don't know me from anybody because I couldn't get a hold of anybody. And so they throw me in the house with the dogs. (laughs) It's like, oh, these aren't going to be very good accommodations for three weeks. And then I get up on the job site and all of a sudden they realize, oh, hey, this guy knows what he's doing. And I taught him a lot of things. Then I got out of the dogs and I got into the air con. <laughs> and hey, but the thing is, is, and we support two pastors on that island now. But the thing is, is if the door, I felt the door was open, but God was going to have to get me through it. Sometimes going through the doors are a little scary. But you just know when you got to go through them. Out of a job, no problem. Just make sure that you're knocking on the doors and giving Jesus the opportunity to open them. Don't start controlling your life. I think it happens as Christians at times. You know, he'll open doors. He'll he'll open doors that don't fit the job requirements for you. And the reason I know that is because it says right here, he opens and he that no one can shut, and he shuts and no one can open. Think of jobs that you got that were like impossible. When we moved to Santa Barbara, we wanted to be apartment managers so we could get out of debt. You know, they, they always said three years experience, five years experience. I always applied. It's like, well, hey, it doesn't hurt to apply. And then a year later, we get a call. And we go, go in there, and we're talking to this guy. And he goes, how much experience do you have? None. It says right there, I, I put out none. He goes, why are you here? Because you called me. Oh, we got the job. I mean, I think so often we, dis- we discount Jesus from working. You got to move, team. You got to take those steps. If you believe that sitting on the couch will bring a nice, fresh Rudy's sandwich to your hands, then you got greater faith than I do. If I want that sandwich, I got to get in my car and I got to drive there and get it. I can't just sit there and go, Rudy sandwich, Rudy sandwich. Whoa, amazing. You got to take steps. You got to walk through them. We have to be reactive when the doors are before us. No no need to stop and pray at that point because we've already been praying. Then when the door opens, it's time for action. If you want a bigger picture, the Lord Jesus had to get me and my wife into Santa Barbara where I was going to become a contractor and then a pastor and then he was going to call us to Texas. I didn't know that. All I knew was I was out of work. I needed to take care of my family. Like, Lord, what do I do? He said, go to California. I ain't going to California. But the crazy thing is, if I wouldn't have went to California, I never would have met Mike. And then if I wouldn't have met Mike, years later, I wouldn't have been able to invite him to church. And how did this all happen? Because the Lord opened doors that no man could shut. And he shut doors that... No one could go through. 
If I was still in Washington because I didn't want to take that step of faith, I wouldn't have met any of you. I certainly wouldn't have met Mike. I mean, I had no idea. In 1986, I'd cross paths with a man named Mike Henderson. We'd become best friends. That, that wasn't, God doesn't program all those details in there. But the thing to remember is the journey's always good because Jesus takes us on them. But you got to go through the doors. Pastor Chuck tells a story one time about a thrifty manager in Orange County that went into the, the bosses and said, look, I need you to move me because these people are threatening my family. You know, just move me to a different area. I don't care where you move me. And the guy, they go, no, we're not going to do that. And he goes, look, you have to move me or I'm going to quit. And they said, you're fired. So the guy goes and gets a salesman job because he needed to provide for his family. Within one year, he was the CEO of a major corporation in Orange County. I mean, well, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, because our God doesn't make sense because he works very supernaturally in the very natural. He controls everything. But you got to be moving. When the door is open, seek to be the best you can and walk through it. And when the door shuts, allow the Lord Jesus to guide you. Remember what James writes in James 5, chapter 4? Come now, you who say, I'm going to, you who say, meaning myself, I'm going to move to this city and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to do that. He calls that boasting. He said, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills. So whatever you do, Please, don't seek to guide your life by picking and choosing. Let the Lord open and close those doors. Take comfort in the fact that our Jesus is the one who opens doors that no one can shut and shuts doors that no one can open. You see, if we want the most out of our walk with Jesus, we've got to embrace his way of living. Because think about this. If you settle for your way, how many open doors are you going to see? Not many. If we want the most of it, we've got to grab a hold of this. Verse 8, I know your works. Jesus says, I know your report card, Philadelphian church. I'm holding it in my hand. But here's what he says to them. You're not trying to squeak by. Man, you're nailing it. You're putting up the grades. For those who have read ahead, do you know, have you noticed what's missing in this church in Philly that we don't find in, that we find in five other churches? Anybody know? There's no corrective actions that's needed to take place here. Now, does that mean this is a perfect church? Someone say it loud. No, <laughs> that place doesn't exist. But they are seeking to live by the truth. They're seeking the holiness of God in their lives, and they're living this way. And they're living this way because their hearts have been impacted by the one who is holy and true. And as Jesus looks inside, he says, I know your works. And because of those works of truth and love towards one another and the lost world around them, Jesus says, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. Well, what door is this? This is different. This is the evangelism door. And Jesus is holding it open. And we almost go through this door by grace, by grace through faith in, in order to make it into heaven. This, Jesus, this door that Jesus is talking about is different from the other doors that he opens and closes. No, this one is open. This door in verse 8 has got to be the door to heaven or the door of preaching the gospel so people can get to heaven. If you look ahead a few verses in chapter 4, verse 1, what kind of door do we find? Open or closed? It's open. 
Behold, a door standing open in heaven. Yeah, because we believe that chapter 4 and 5, the church raptures out of there. Chapter 6, all hell breaks loose and the tribulation starts. So the door is open. If you have not got your ticket to heaven secured by the blood of the Lamb, it's not too late. The door is still open. The day is fast approaching when that door will close. And when that door closes, it will be too late. But for now, it's open. We read in Acts 14, 27 that Paul and Barnabas were reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles for salvation. The door is still open today. Those people around you that are unsaved, the door is still open for them if you and I will but preach the gospel to them. Jesus is still the one holding the door to heaven and, and the world around us, well, we know they're not gonna be friendly towards us, some, when we share the gospel. But what I've found is many are open, but some will be hostile. But Paul writes about that as well in 1 Corinthians 16, 9. Here's what he says. For a great and effective door is open to me in preaching the gospel, and there are many adversaries. That's okay. It's part of the ticket. But that, the adversary should never hinder his team. I believe there are so many lost people in the world right now that want to give their lives to Jesus, but they have no idea how. So they're going to medicine trying to figure out why they feel the way they do. They're killing themselves because they have no hope and they have no long-term relationship. Church, that's on us. We have hope. We have long-term relationship. You know, right here in this county where we sit, highest suicide rate in the state of Texas, right here. When we moved out here, it was one of the highest suicides rate in the nation. Right here, right here. Southern Montgomery County, not northern, not eastern, right here. It's not published. It's not exactly good press. Hey, move, you want to move to the highest suicide rate? Oh, yeah, let's pass on that. But, th but they did this thing, and it's because of no hope and long-term relationship for all the people that are trying to kill themselves. We have that. We possess that. No, nothing can hinder us. Guys, if, if the church doesn't go out and preach the gospel to the lost, who is? No one is. You and I, every day, have got to be asking Jesus to open effective doors to preach the gospel, even if there's some adversity. Listen, if there's adversity, you should be stoked because the devil's ticked off. If there's no adversity in your life, hmm, well, we'll get there next week. Only heart change that Jesus can accomplish will bring about life change in our land. Do you understand that? See, if you want to complain about the land, then you better be out preaching the gospel. Because the only way this place is ever going to get turned around is if the church wakes up and goes out and preaches the gospel. The, who believes the government is going to fix it all? Yeah, for the record, no one. <laughs> Jake, you, Jake, you are always a nice guy. <laughs> the government will never legislate it right. You and I, as we preach the gospel, lives will be changed. Hearts will be changed. And I believe people are hungry and lost looking for something, but they don't know what it is. I mean, just think about when, you, when it was you. Look at the hippie movement. They were looking for something and didn't know what it was. And let me just say this. They didn't put a, the church didn't put together an organization, a big event, because it's like, hey, we're going to win all these hippies. No, they, none of that. People started praying for the lost. Kay drugged Pastor Chuck out to the pier because he thought they were just a bunch of bums. And they started praying and their hearts were bro broken for those people. So what breaks your heart for the lost? Minus the young people. 
But what, what about you? What, what would drive you to share the gospel with someone? Is there an age group? Is there, uh, uh, you know, black, white, brown, purple Martians? I mean, what, what really gets you excited about sharing the gospel? Because Jesus has given the church this great commission. And he's, he's opened this door to heaven. We, the church, we have all the answers if we point them to Jesus, team. Plus, if what I have is real, there's going to be a real concern for others. True story. William Carey in London on May 31st, 1793, he found himself being discontent on being a shoe repairman. Say that. Shoe repairman. So he walks into his church, shared a passage of uh, scripture out of Isaiah, and said, I want to go to India. Send me to India. I mean, the, the church was shocked. They were stunned. Why? Because there had never been a foreign mission adventure in the last thousand years. So surprised and stunned, they sent William out, William Carey out. His work still goes on in India, and we still talk about him today. And what was it? What was so special about William Carey that sparked a revival across the land? He was a shoe repairman. Wow. See, God is still looking for shoe repairmen. God is looking for those who are willing to be used. Do you realize the first one to plant a Calvary Chapel in Eastern Europe when the, wall, the Berlin Wall was still up was a plumber? Wow, I guess maybe I am qualified. No, you're not qualified. You just make yourself available and watch God use you. Availability always, not ability, is what God wants to use as he opens, holds this door open. So the question we've got to ask us, are we willing well, I don't really know what to say. Look, if they're being nice to you when you're sitting at the restaurant, just say, wow, you know, are you a Christian? And, and they're going to say yes or no. And when they say no, you're going to say, well, you know what you should be. You act like one. I mean, it's not complicated. You just have to have a genuine care for people. Now, you got to be ready for the response because at times I've been shocked, but you don't show them that you're shocked. And it's like, well, hey, Jesus loves you anyway. He does. The fire has to start in our hearts. And only Jesus can do that. And then it's got to spread out. And it spreads out through our community. As he writes to them, Jesus is saying, look, you guys are knocking it out. Jesus has before you, church in Philly, and before us, church in the Woodlands, an open door and no one can shut it. Man, I take comfort in the fact that no matter how hard man or the devil may try, no one is shutting this door that Jesus has set before us. Until he shuts it, no treaty that the UN could ever come up with, no government, no anti-Christian anything, no ACLU can ever shut that door. Only Jesus can shut that door. And we get a rest in that. Next, Jesus tells them, look what it says, for you have a little strength. So what does that mean? Well, not a lot, but a little. But a little is better than nothing. And I don't see these people living life from the past with their little strength. They are current. They are game on. Man, they're in the game and they're going for it. And I hope we all know that Jesus does not say this about any other churches in these seven churches other than right here. Hey, you have a little strength. So a little strength is good. The Greek word for strength here is dunamis. We find it in the book of Acts where Jesus is there with the boys for the very last time. And he says, look, you're going to go out into all the world and preach the gospel, but I want you to wait in Jerusalem until you are endued with power. Dunamis, on high. And they did. The day of Pentecost came. The Holy Spirit fell upon them. That dunamis power is given to them. And they went out. And after some persecution, they went out even farther. And then Saul came along. And, you know, here we are today. But it was God-driven. 
It was the Spirit of God driven. So a little bit of that dunamis power of God is good here as we allow Jesus to work through us for his glory. You see the next two attributes here of this church with the little power? Look what it says. Jesus says to them, you have kept my word singular. Okay? Please take notice of that. And have not denied my name. When we, when we see words like, you have kept my word singular, that means this church has kept all of it. No smorgasbord, no candy store. I like this candy, not that candy. Ooh, I don't like it. Well, I ain't trying that no more. No, they'd kept all of it. And this is past tense, simple statement of fact that the church in Philly has carefully guarded God's word. They haven't been swayed by what is popular. They haven't been swayed by the culture or by the lukewarm believer. The word kept means to attend to carefully, to take care of, to guard, to keep one in a state in which it is. See, the true church in the last days is not changing its message with the false winds of doctrine that, blew through their, that blows through its doors. They're keeping all of it. They're holding true to it. And in this case, this church in the city of Philadelphia, they held true to God's word until 1300 AD. Really? They quit? No. The Turks killed them. They, they, they maintained their witness. They maintained their truth. What Jesus writes to them at 96 AD was still producing fruit at 1300 AD. They kept his word. They had a little strength. It's, and like I said at the beginning in Psalm 38, 138, verse 2, for you, speaking of the Lord God, for you have magnified your word above my name. You see, God's word defines his name. Toss out the word of God, you can't define God's name anymore. Toss out the word of God, you've lost sight of the true nature of God. Keep all of the word of God, you have an accurate picture of the Lord God. It's really that simple. So much of the church today has wrong concepts, wrong thoughts, wrong attitudes about Jesus and how life should be played out. Why? Because they're not keeping all of his word. That's why. They're still good people. They just left, they've just set it down. They're not keeping his word, which means all of it. They're making stuff up. Yet God says about himself my, that the word of God defines my name. You've got to have the word. This church and others like them today have a little power. They're not embarrassed about the name of Jesus. So this church was evangelistic by nature and that Jesus has an open door for them. They were utterly, desperately dependent upon him in that they had a little strength and they were not denying his name. Do I? Do you? Am I ever ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? I don't know. I'm sure there are times. But that's not where I camp out. That's not where I live. They lived out their faith openly and without shame. And Jesus takes notice of them. Look at verse 9. Indeed, I'll make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not. Interesting, isn't it? They say they're, they're Jews, but Jesus says they're Jews by name only. They are counterfeits by how they treat you. So the Jews in this specific synagogue here, and please Rest in the fact that Jesus sees all of this. They have no one and been brutal towards his bride. But Jesus knows all that. Indeed, I, Jesus, will make those of the synagogue of Satan because Satan's the one that's stirring up this synagogue to beat up Jesus' bride. Indeed, I'll make those of the synagogue 
of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lied. Indeed, I will make them come. Do you see that? That's why we're supposed to love people, regardless of how they are towards us. Because Jesus gets the final words in. I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. I don't even know what that looks like. But when Jesus does this, then these unbelievers are going to know at that point in time how much Jesus loves us. And I don't know if there's any hope there for them at that point. More great promise in verse 10. Because you have past tense fact kept my command to persevere, I also will future tense as a simple fact keep you, underline this word, from. I will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world. Someone say whole world. The whole world. I'll keep you from the hour of trial which is going to come upon the whole world to test those who are not born again, to test those who dwell on the earth. Well, why do you say born again? Well, because some people believe that they're going to be born again. The Greek word kept and keep here is a word associated with that of a warden or a guard. To keep an eye on, to watch, to guard, to keep or obey. Because you've set your heart and mind to tentatively be watching, Jesus says, I also will keep you. And if you haven't circled it yet, circle that word from in verse 10. As you realize this is an incredible promise from Jesus, because Jesus is personally guaranteeing to us, his bride, that he's going to keep her out of this worldwide trial that's coming upon the earth. And that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, why would I, I'm speaking for Jesus, when I have, a, have the power to do so, why, why would I make my bride go through the tribulation period? Hey, honey, love you lots, but have a nice seven-year trip through hell. I mean, that doesn't sound like my Jesus. I don't see that. As you read through the entire book of Revelation, those we find in the tribulation period are martyred for their faith. You got that? They were killed. That's not being kept. But here it says that Jesus will keep us from. The only way he can keep us out of this bloodbath is if he removes us. To me, this is a no-brainer, team. It's all promised to those who are his. Plus, look at Revelation chapter 7, verse 13. You can go read the whole chapter tonight. The question in heaven is asked, who, who is a what? Person. Who's always a person? Who are these arrayed in right robes and where, like, where, like, where are we going to eat? Where did they come from? And the angel giving John the tour says, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. This is not us, team. Jesus says to his church that is persevering and holding fast to his name and his word that he emphatically is going to keep us from this hour of trial. If I get my head chopped off during the tribulation period, that is not being kept. Well, who are these? Well, these are the ones that get saved during the tribulation period. There's seven years. I'm sure many will come to faith in Christ. I think we're going to be shocked by who doesn't, but... But this, this, this is not keeping me from the trial that's coming upon the whole earth. I mean, this is, this is keeping me from the trial. It's not making me go through it. I believe those in chapter 7 are those who get saved during the course of the tribulation period. Now, with all that being said, the post-toasties, you know who those are? 
post-tribulationists? You know, there's, if you don't know, see, we're pre-trib. We get out of here before the tribulation. Some believe they go three and a half years. God bless them. I hope God doesn't give them what they want. And others believe they go all seven years. So I call them post-tosis because they're going to get toasted all the way for seven years. And, uh, but they, they believe this verse means that Jesus is going to keep them safe as they go through the seven-year tri tribulation period. Even though we see in there that they get killed. So if, if they believe, the postosis believe that Jesus is going to keep them safe for the seven years, so who are they looking for to come? Starts with an A. The Antichrist. Who are you and I looking for? Jesus Christ. So you can decide who you want to be watching for. You know, I mean, I'm, Calvary Chapel's doctrinal position is that Jesus removes this before the seven-year tribulation period starts, and thus it's known as pre-tribulationists. That's who we are. Now, if I'm wrong... I could be. We all, all of Calvary Chapel could be wrong. That's okay. I can change my answer. I'm mid. <laughs> no, I'm post. But if they're wrong, they're going to be wrong for all of eternity. You know, it's just kind of a joke. But verse 11, behold, I am coming quickly. That's a statement of fact when you look at the Greek word, verbs here. It's going to happen. And I'm going to suddenly come upon you. And when I come, boom, over. It's over before you can say over. Jesus doesn't come, mean he's coming in a day or a month or a week. No, that's not, what, that's not what he writes here. It means that when he comes, it'll be over before it begins. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51, the following. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. That's why it's quickly. It's going to be quicker than a twinkle. The Lord Jesus is going to snatch away his church in less than a blink. There'll be no time for repentance. There'll be no time to call out to God. There'll be no time to turn to Jesus. There will no time, be no time to get out of living a lifestyle of sin. Look, we're all sinners. Chances are many of us will be sinning when Jesus comes back, but we're not living a lifestyle of sin. Big difference. There's five places in the New Testament where, Jesus, where the Word of God says, if you live this way as a lifestyle, you will not get into heaven. There'll be no time to repent. None. You know, that's like, well, that's kind of like fear of God stuff. Yeah, I think so. Because when Jesus comes, it's going to be so fast. It'll, it'll be over before you realized what happened. The bus will be gone. The plane will be gone. The train will be gone. The Uber will be gone. Everything will be gone. So you better have your ticket now. It's critical. Hold fast is a present tense command from Jesus with me doing the holding. Hold fast what you have. And here's why. That no one may take your crown. Team, we have to hold fast to our faith in Jesus. And we cannot deny, ever deny his name. Sure, we will sin. But this promise is to those who do not, do, who do not deny Jesus. Well, like Peter did before the, he, he, he was filled with the Holy Ghost. See, there's a big difference between sinning and denying Jesus and, and just denying, denying, and you walk away. We have a little strength. We have his name. We have his word. Hold fast to all of that church that no one can take your, your crown. The promise is don't give up, but to press on. Run the race in such a way as to win the prize. Because if you're running the race in such a way to win the prize, how hard is it for someone to grab your crown? If you're standing there, 
Someone could knock that crown off in a heartbeat. We got to run it. We got to get after it. It's a race. If he who overcomes, here's promise. I will make him a pillar. What? <laughs> Remember the first time I read that, brand new Christian. He who overcomes, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. Yeah, because he's a pillar. Go on. And I remember going, Lord, that doesn't excite me, but hey, if that's the way it is, okay. <laughs> so before you go, no thanks. I don't want to support a ceiling or something for all of eternity. We need to interpret this by Scripture. So all you got to do is go to chapter 21, verse 22 of this book, and look what it says. How many temples are there? Double goose egg. That there is no temple in heaven for the Lord God Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. Okay, so we obviously know it's not a building. So you don't have to worry about literally being a nice granite or marble pillar for all of eternity. Hey, Corbin. <laughs> not going to happen. So what does this mean then? What does Jesus have in mind? Well, first off, realize who's doing all the activity here. I. Who's the I? Jesus. Jesus says, I am going to make you a pillar. A pillar in a building sense is something that cannot be removed. It's stable. It supports. So we're permanent in the new Jerusalem. A pillar in a building structure, you know, like that right there, that's not a pillar. You may think that's really strong. No, that's fake. That, that would not be the place to go in the midst of an earthquake. Underneath that beam right there, yeah, that's where I'd go. That, mm, that's going to fall down on you. A pillar has purpose in a building. So you and I will all have purpose in, Jeru in the new Jerusalem. What's it going to be like? I'll guarantee you it's going to be exciting every single second of every single moment for the rest of the eternity because we have purpose. We'll be solid and established in heaven, team. We're going to be stable. We're going to be in a city. The city of Philadelphia was under continuous threat of earthquakes. And when the earthquakes shake, what's the only thing that's left standing if they stand? Pillars. So as Jesus writes to them, they know exactly what, they, man, they're tracking here. Once you're here, you cannot be removed. He overcomes, shall be a permanent fixture in heaven with God Almighty. Man, that's awesome. You want to be a pillar team? You want to be found here. And in the process of being there, you're going to get tatted up. Look what it says. Jesus promised all who overcome is we'll never be separated from Jesus ever. And he, and I add she, shall go out no more. We will dwell with Jesus forever. And here's where the ink comes from. And I will write on him, or her, the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him, or her, my new name. Jesus says, as you hold fast, he's going to be doing some writing. But if for some reason, if you foolishly decide to stick around on this earth, you're not going to get a new name. You're going to get a number. Think about it. You want a new name? You want a number. You're going to get something. You got choices. New names in heaven, new numbers on your forehead on this earth. I'd, I'd hope to God that we'd all want to be found worthy as one who overcomes by getting this new name of Jesus and we get, a, get it tatted on us somehow. 
We know our worthiness comes from believing in what Jesus did on the cross. That's what makes me worthy. That's what makes me acceptable before God. Jesus says he's going to tat us up with the name of God, the name of the new city. I guess that way we never get lost. Hey, <laughs> I don't know. And, and, and his new name. Okay, so what's up with that? Why all these names? Well, that way no one can ever say we don't belong there. No one. Our relationship is made secure for all of eternity by the actions of Jesus while walking on this earth. And upon our arrival, our relationship is made secure once again by the actions of Jesus in heaven. It's all Jesus, team. See, I, and see, when, when the world understands that, who doesn't want to give their life to Jesus Christ? But the problem is they don't understand that. They think it's this thing or that thing. He who has an ear, touch him. We got two of them. Kevin, Kevin, go like this. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Man, I hope and pray that we heard something this morning. Because see, verse 13 declares the Holy Ghost will speak. So I read the, I read the verbs. It doesn't matter if I mess the whole thing up. I read it. So what did you hear? My great hope for each one of us is that Jesus spoke to us and that we'd be looking. We'd be, in our hearts, we'd say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come back. You know, that each one of us would be living off his little strength that he gave and that we, that we because and we're keeping his word, we have not denied his name. So please understand and please notice and go back and read this tonight that the ingredients to have an exciting walk with Jesus, man, it's right here in these seven verses. But you and I, we've got to be watching. It's critical because when he comes, it's going to be over before it even starts. Amen? Father, we're thankful for all that you want to do in our lives. And Lord, we want to be found